Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. Well, um, we are going to be in the book of James uh, in chapter 1 this evening, and we're beginning a new series. So that's super exciting. And um, I'm just going to jump right into it. We're just going in. Is that all right? There's sometimes like when a, when a Bible study starts, it's like, how long do I do the thing before I just go? And I'm just going to go. Cool? So James is uh, the author of this book, writing to a church that met in Jerusalem, but um, they are scattered about because of intense persecution during the time. So Christians, early Christians, early followers of Jesus uh, were persecuted pretty radically uh, in the days of the early church. So meeting in a large gathering of this, like this, knowing that the government and other people are out to get you and they hate you and they want to kill you, meeting like this isn't uh, a smart idea. So, so they are scattered abroad. So James is writing to, uh, to the people, the members of this church. And uh, like I said, James is the half-brother of Jesus. So he is Mary and Joseph's son, and he is writing it. And uh, here's a fun fact for you. He, his nickname was Old Camel Knees, uh, for he was a man of prayer. And he would, lay, he would kneel down and pray before God, and his knees were, I imagine, pretty gnarly looking. And a, a legend has it that, uh, like I said, the church was persecuted in the early days. James uh, suffered from the persecution. He was actually martyred. For Jesus, they threw him off a cliff, and legend has it, he landed on his old camel knees, and he didn't die. Uh, so they stoned him, they threw rocks at him, and he still didn't die, so they ended up killing him with a club. You know what I mean? So, uh, so that is who is writing this book. Now, the book of James covers uh, the topic of, of persecution. However, that is not its main goal. The main goal of the book of James is not just an encouragement to these people through the time of persecution, but the, uh, in the focus of the book of James is having faith and living in that faith. Now, from the time that we place faith in Jesus to the time that we see Jesus face to face, a lot happens. You start walking with Jesus, and you're trying to do things right. And as you pursue Jesus even more, your own inabilities and your own shortcomings and, and the sin in your own life starts to peak out even more. So as we walk with Jesus, it's almost as if we seem to be getting worse because Jesus is pointing out things that need to work in your life. And, and the book of James is focusing on living out that faith and walking closer with Jesus. The, the series title is Work in Progress, because we are all a work in progress. Amen? All right, so let's read, and uh, we'll talk about it. James 1. So this is what we're going to do. Sorry. We're going to go from James 1 to uh, verse 1 through 4, and then we're just going to teleport to uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Can you guys handle that? Okay, cool. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Everyone say trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. 
But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So let's teleport now, verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Everyone say temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord had promised to those who love him. Let no one say he is tempted. Uh, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when a desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you. Lord, I thank you so much that your presence is in this place already. Lord, as we sang, your presence and your spirit is all that we desire. Lord, and I just pray that you'd fill this place, Lord, that your, your spirit and your presence will be thick in this room as if you are here. Lord, we want to see you. Lord, you are here. We want to be with you. Meet with us. Lord, speak to us. Fill our, our hearts with your spirit. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. amen. Over the course of my lifetime, uh, I have had the opportunity, the random whatever, to meet an assortment of super random celebrities. Like, I'm like a magnet to like the most random people that you might know their name of, and you're like, whoa, why on earth? So um, uh, there's a bunch of pictures in there. Just start with the first one. This is Gene Simmons from KISS. I met him at a Dodger game. The next one. The staff, or the whatever of Duck Dynasty. Phil and the, the whatever. The people who work on it. Uh, Willie Robertson. This is at an airport in England, actually. Surpri even though he's wearing an American flag, it's in England. Uh, next one. Chad Ochocinco. Football player. Anybody know who that is? He was trying out for a Canadian pro league that was uh, at Dodgertown, and I happened to be at Dodgertown. I don't know. Chad Ochocinco. Uh, that's, that's just the funniest picture ever. So, um, This is a, uh, at the time, he was like the headlines of college basketball. His name's Taco Fall. Um, he's like seven foot three. And he was in, like, March Madness and stuff. And then, uh, is this the second to last one? Or do I have more? No, I have more. Keep going. The whole Orlando City pro soccer team was on my airplane. Um, just keep it going. Tom DeLonge of Angels and Airwaves and Blink-182. Yeah. The original singer, when he left, it's not the same band. It's a different band. Um, keep going. When I was on uh, the Today Show in New York, um, that is Kathy Lee and Hoda. I have a mug with their faces on it. Um, and the last one is Seth Rogen. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason, God has blessed me um, with. Everybody knew, for the most part, everyone's names, right? Like, you guys know those people. Just like, sure, 
They'll be at the airport at the same time. And um, there's something funny about meeting a celebrity that is just kind of like weird. It's like almost like, I don't know, it's like a video game coming to life. Like you see them on TV or on whatever, and then you meet them, and you're like, whoa, this is like different. I remember when I met Seth Rogen, if you could throw Seth Rogen just for the one time back up. He, he was like a nice guy. He was like on the phone, and I was just like, hey, can I take a picture with you? And he like didn't really do anything. He just kind of leaned in, and I was like, mm. but, um, but with Seth, Seth Rogen, I mean, I've, I've watched his movies. I'm a big uh, freaks and geeks guy. It's like a, some sitcom that had one season in the 90s with him and like James Franco. And to be honest, that's like the only thing I really watch with him in it. Maybe. But um, like, like with a celebrity, you kind of like see them and, and you watch them on TV and, and you assume that they're like kind of larger than life. And like they're this like big personality. And usually when people have big personalities, like, like they have are, are big person or, or you think of them as so. Like... I'm the tallest guy usually in a room. I don't know. I'm, like, awkwardly tall. But I feel like I have a small personality. This is my own perspective. If you have a different opinion, I don't care. And so oftentimes I'll feel as if I'm shorter than the other person because I feel small next to him. And so, like, you kind of build up, like, the celebrities. Like, they're this big person. And I remember, like, meeting Seth Rogen and just being like, dang, he's shorter than I expected. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I'm looking at him and I'm like, He's not like, he's just like this guy that's just shorter and happens to be in movies and American Pickle. He's in that. Pretty funny. My message title this morning is Shorter Than I Expected. In the book of James, uh, there, there are words that I, I made you guys repeat. The, the word trial and the word temptation. That, that we read about, and these words are big words that carry a big meaning, meaning that is very, in, uh, whatever, scary, what's the, intimidating, and, and sometimes when we look at words like this in, in scripture, and we think about like, you will go through trials as a follower of Jesus, you will be tempted as a follower of Jesus, we can sometimes puff these words up to mean a lot more than they actually mean. So my goal for this evening is to pull these words apart, to take a look at them, look how they're used, and look how they are used against us. Hopefully that we can pull back the curtain, and at the end of the night we can say, trials and temptation are a little shorter than I expected. You see what I'm saying? So here, let's, let's take a look. Uh, James, he says this. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now he says, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, this word, this is, this is kind of a funny thing. Like I said, we can build up and puff up these words. Trial and temptation in the original language is actually the same word. The, the word is pyrosmos. Everyone say pyrosmos. And, and this word is a, a Greek word that is used um, for, for trial and temptation. And the definition is an enticement to sin, temptation, whether arising from the de- desires 
or from the outward circumstances or internal temptation to sin. So it is an enticement to sin. It is temptation, whether arising from desires within yourself or outward circumstances. And throughout all of Scripture, these words trial and temptation, or the word pirosmos, is used interchangeably, and there's no real reason why trial or temptation is chose. So here in Matthew 6, 13, it says this. It says, and do not lead us into pirosmos, temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's Jesus' prayer. In Luke 4.13, it says, Now when the devil had ended every pirosmos, he departed from him until opportune time. That was talking about the devil tempting Jesus. And then uh, there was another one with the 13 in it that I took out of my notes for some reason. What is, and do not lead us into temptation. What was the other one? Okay, that's my bad. My bad. Uh, Luke twenty two twenty eight. it says, but you, uh, but you are those who have continued with me in my pirosmos, trials. So, uh, oh, 613. Did I skip that one? Oh, no, I read that one. 2641. Did I say that one? I don't think so. Which, uh, watch and pray, lest you enter into pirosmos. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So throughout scripture, this word pirosmos is used uh, talking about trials and temptation. And in these examples, it shows us whether they are the, the temptation from an outward source or an inward source. Uh, Jesus is telling the disciples to watch and pray lest they fall into the temptation because the spirit is willing but their flesh is weak. So this inward source of the flesh that is leading them to temptation. Jesus says, and do not lead us into pirosmos, but deliver us from the evil one. That the devil is leading them into temptation. And then he says um, that you are those who have continued with me in my Pirosmos, this is Jesus speaking with the disciples who have endured with him through his suffering amongst people. So there is these three enemies that bring on this idea of parosmos, which is trials and temptation. The three enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. The, the devil is, is coming and leading them into temptation. The devil is a real being that is unseen, that is leading into temptation because he, wants, he doesn't want you to follow Jesus. Then he says that they are, they are being led into temptation because of their flesh. And so you can fall into temptation from your own inward desires or from the world that is leading you into the direction not of Jesus, but into the flesh or into the, the direction of the enemy. In Ephesians 2, uh, verse 1, it says this, And he made, this is, this is uh, the Apostle Paul writing, he is speaking of Jesus, and, and you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and according, 
uh, sorry, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among, whew, one second, let me start over. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature's children of wrath. Ephesians, uh, the, the author Paul, he is writing and he's saying that before we met Jesus, we were subject to and we were enslaved by the influences of the world, the, the temptations of the devil, and the lusts of our flesh. But he writes and he says, but we now have been made alive in Christ Jesus. Now, if we move on to this idea of temptation, temptation is speaking more so of this desire uh, or enticement to sin that comes from yourself. In, in 1 John, the author writes this. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the pride of life. It is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lusts of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So here we, we see this interesting idea of these words, trials and temptation. Trial is speaking more so of this enticement to sin that is coming from outward influences. The, the Bible makes it clear that there is an enemy that is trying to influence you into walking away from Jesus. The devil is the antithesis of Jesus Christ because Jesus brings life and freedom and truth. The devil brings enslavement and death and lies. And there is this real person that is influencing the world and the patterns of this world, as Ephesians says, the prince of the power of the air, that is trying to drive this world away from Jesus and into death. Okay, I know that's like the funnest thing you've ever heard in your life, but it's just, it is what it is, right? It is what it is. And, and so the, the, the devil is trying to influence. But if I can be honest with you, most of the time when we are facing temptation and when we are facing trials, it is not like the devil in his little spirit world with like a pitchfork like poking you and saying like, ah, I want you to like go on this person's Instagram page and just get like super worked up and super angry and then like, wow. Or like, you're like up late at night and I want you to go on this person's Instagram page so you can lead into like that and be all, yeah. And he's like poking, right? It, it, most of the time, the devil doesn't have to work very hard because the world is often the loudest influence that is pushing us toward, uh, away from God and towards the desires of our hearts, which are often that of the flesh. So we need to be able to withstand the world and to be able to stand against the world and the patterns of this world. And we need to be transformed, as the writer of Romans says, by a renewing of our mind. That we need to allow God's word to come in and fill our minds and fill us with his spirit and with his presence so that we can withstand the patterns of the world and the influence of the world. But also, 
if we, we look at this, kind of the three enemies uh, of the soul, like I said, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and then there is this kind of other thing that John writes that he says, in the world, all there is is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. There's kind of a crossover between the two that the flesh is at the innermost part of all of these trials and temptation. We are, are influenced by our own fleshly desires. If I can define the, the, the flesh from uh, the section of Ephesians that we read where he says, he, and you he made alive. And then he goes on that we used to be living uh, according to the flesh and influenced by the flesh and influenced by the world. That the, the flesh is the part of our dead self that is still trying to live. Our, our dead self that is still trying to live. When we place faith in Jesus, we are made alive in Christ. This, we are alive in the spirit. But there is a part of our old self that is still scratching to have some life. And we need to be able to put our flesh to death. In, in Romans 12, it says that we need to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Uh, a pastor once said that the problem with a living sacrifice is it that is it continues to crawl off the altar. So we need to keep putting it back on the altar and sacrificing it. Now, if I could turn your attention, uh, I don't know if I gave you this, but it's okay. Uh, Galatians 5, 16, 25. It says this, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the, lust, the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the, the works of the flesh are evident. Okay, This is the characteristics of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Basically, the flesh is the you that you think about when people are like, oh, I love you. You're so fun and so happy. And you're like, oh, if only you knew my flesh. Now, the spirit, he says this, uh, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things are not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and with its desires. If we live in the Spirit... Let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, I gave you guys so much random information. Let's kind of wrap this into a pretty little bow so we can take it home, okay? Does that sound cool? So we are faced by these 
enemies around us that are trying to influence us and persuading us to walk not according to the word of God, not according to the life that Jesus has given us, not according to the freedom that Jesus has given us, but it is influencing us to walk according to the lusts of our own desires that are ultimately not into the direction of Jesus. Sometimes there may be a little bit of overlap. Maybe you're like nice to some people and Jesus would like you to be nice to those people. But for the most of the time, our flesh is leading us not into the direction of Jesus and the world is not influencing us into the direction of Jesus. So if we would like to crucify these things that are influencing us away from God, if we just focused on our flesh, that's kind of the heartbeat of it all. Because the world can influence you as much as it wants to, but ultimately it's you that are making the decisions. You can be surrounded by ungodly people, and you can be surrounded by people who are, are, are just living uh, according to the desires of themselves, and, and they are they are doing all of those things that the, the flesh is described, but ultimately it's you that chooses to walk according to the flesh or according to the spirit. And, and you can be influenced by, by the course of the world and the devil behind it, but ultimately it's you that decides whether or not you are going to live in the way of Jesus and, and be formed into the image of his son or you're going to live to the desires of your own heart and ultimately be deformed into something that you were never created to be. Now, we need to, like Galatians says, crucify our flesh and walk in the Spirit. How do you crucify your flesh? Thank you. Thank you for asking. It was, in fact, it was the exact time in the Bible study that I was going to explain that. To you. So thank you. So wild. Worship team, if you guys want to head back up here, feel free. Uh, growing up, I did a lot of things wrong. Like so many things wrong. Like probably 90% of the things that I did were just incorrect. Like, like you had the 50% the chance of doing the right thing, and I did the wrong thing. And um, so oftentimes, my dad would have to tell me that I did the wrong thing. Yeah, he chose various ways in which he told me that I did the wrong thing. But ultimately, he was just telling me, hey, you did the wrong thing, buddy. I'm like, ah, thanks, dad. Kind of knew that already. And, and most of the time, the wrong thing that I did was that I was like super hyper and out of control and just all the time. And so most of the time, that hyperness would then turn into, and I would begin to bother my brothers like crazy. And so then that ends up being whatever it ends up being, punched, wedgy, swirly, pants taken off at church and thrown into the women's bathroom, you know, whatever it is. So my dad, what he would tell me is he would say, if you, he is a, you need to tell yourself no so that I don't have to. And he said, if you told yourself no, you would never have to hear me tell you, tell you no. Crucifying our flesh is telling ourselves no, but 
I understand that it's really, really hard to tell yourself no all the time. When you have desires to do something, when, when emotions are settling in, when, when things are happening and you are being tempted and there is a testing of your faith and, and you are wondering, like, how can I overcome these feelings as the flesh is screaming that it is hungry and it needs to be fed? How do you starve and crucify the flesh? Look at what James 1 says. He says this, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive the meekness of the implanted word which is able to save your souls. He says, Be doers of the word of God and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word of God and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. We are encouraged to endure temptation. That word endure, the the original word, is like a two-part word that more directly can be translated into like stand uh, against temptation or more precisely to super stand. To, To get set in your haunches, okay? And to endure temptation, but but we are to be set in our haunches on the word of God. We are to be set on the word of God. James is, is elaborating on a teaching of Jesus when he says, hey, someone who hears these sayings of mine, these words of mine, and does them is like a man who builds his house on the rock. That when, when the wind came and the floods came, when the world came and the flesh came, and the devil came, that we were super standing on the word of God, and we were choosing to not walk in the flesh, but to walk in the spirit. What that looks like is when we feel the desires of temptation, and we feel the testing of trials, we look at it and we say, am I standing on the word of God? Am I taking a step that is still on the word of God? Or is the desire that I have leading me into temptation, leading me deeper into the influence of my own flesh, of my own dead self that is still scratching at the coffin trying to get out? That we need to crucify our flesh and choose to walk in the spirit of God. I I felt such a thick presence of God's spirit in, in here while we were worshiping tonight and just thinking that, I want the Spirit of God to walk with me. I want to invite that Spirit with me as I'm alone at the house, as I'm staying up too late on social media, as I am getting in the car with these people and going to that party. I want the Spirit of God to be directing my steps. I don't want my flesh to be directing my steps. And we need to actively invite the Spirit of God and also to hold ourselves accountable with the teachings of Scripture. Imagine that the Word of God is like my dad saying, you did something wrong. And he loves to. He's like, you did something wrong. I want to make you better. I want to make you into a better person. But I ultimately want you to tell yourself no. 
And that's how the word of God works in our life. We look and we say, oh, there's so much that I need to fix. There's so much that needs to change. So much that needs to happen. Like I've been doing this wrong. But as we are, are standing, super standing on the foundation of scripture and choosing to walk in the spirit, we will then, our, our desires will begin to change. And we will look more like the characteristics of the spirit than of the flesh. So if you guys would, could you stand with me?